1: It is so hard to believe we have reached the end of the year and we are in the very last month. I hope you'll take the time this month to really nurture yourself and to open yourself to what you want to create in 2021 and a lot of that requires understanding and stepping into a powerful daily practice, which is going to be the topic of our discussion today with a guest that has been on before, but before we dive into that, I do want to mention that the new issue of 1111 Magazine has been released. It is on divine mothering, and it is a beautiful and powerful issue uh, featuring 10 different voices and different aspects of mothering. Right now, especially with the year that we have had, And with the year that we're going into, if you're wanting to create something new, mothering yourself, mothering those around you is essential to really step into a place where you not only have that fierce advocacy for yourself, but also that gentle nurturing that can be taking place. In addition to the divine mothering issue that has just released freely, which you can find on the 1111 MAG website, a powerful course that has been created by the collaboration of eight individuals. Uh, it has come together, and it is the mothering movement, and you can find that in the 1111 course section on page two. It is one of the most beautiful courses that I have ever had the pleasure of facilitating the creation of the vulnerability, the intimacy, the depth, and the breadth that we discuss when it comes to mothering, especially in the diverse times that we live in now, is really, really powerful from a social and sacred activism point of view, as well as the tips and tools you will learn in regard to mothering your own children, and most importantly, mothering yourself. So I invite you to check out all those things that are new at Eleven Eleven. What is a daily practice? It is a way that you take your existence seriously, one breath at a time, one thought at a time, one moment at a time. It is your daily routine of paying attention to the areas where you have set your intentions. It looks like the silence of deep space filled with the brilliant fire of a single star. It is you spending a significant amount of time every day focused in one direction. And what is it that you're exactly practicing? Well, we're going to dive into a deep discussion with Eric Mazel. He is the author of more than 50 books in the areas of critical psychology, writing, creativity, and the creative life. Dr. Mazel is a widely regarded uh, and America's foremost creativity coach. He's a former psychotherapist active creativity coach, and a critical psychology advocate. He writes the Rethinking Mental Health blog for Psychology Today. He lectures nationally and internationally and delivers keynotes for organizations like the International Society of Ethical Psychology and Psychiatry and also the American Mental Health Counselors Association. Eric Maisel facilitates deep writing workshops in places all over the world, and he has provided reporters hundreds of print, radio, and television interviews and taught tens of thousands of students through his classes with Daily Om uh, and also many of the workshops, online trainings, and books that you can find at his website, ericmazel.com, which is also listed in his bio. And so I am looking forward to diving into this very powerful conversation. Welcome, Eric, back to 1111 Talk Radio. It is so great to have
2: you back on. Hi, Simon. It's great to be back. Boy, that that bio exhausted me. I think I'm going to go to
1: bed. (laughs) Well, you have done quite a bit. So it only makes sense that we need to listen to you (laughs) when it comes to the power of daily practice. And that can seem so daunting sometimes for people, because that sounds... Uh, in for in some lenses or in some ears, that would sound very rigid and very constricting and kind of like someone telling you to go to your room and do something. So help us first and foremost understand what daily practice is. and is it something that we really have to kind of strike the whip on ourselves, or is there some flexibility around this?
2: Well first of all, daily practice isn't about discipline or or whipping. It's about devotion. It's a big difference, discipline and devotion. In fact, Pavarotti once said, uh, people say I'm disciplined and it's not discipline, it's devotion. And that's a big difference. And it is different. So I think the starting place is kind of abstract. And that has to do with the difference between the, so to speak, purpose of life versus our life purpose choices. I don't think there is a purpose to life. I think rather... There are the things we deem important. We decide what's important. We make our life purpose choices. Most people have never made that list of what's important to them. They, they go about their business, but they haven't sat down and made that list, which is always a snapshot in time because our life purpose choices actually change. This year, for instance, many of us were maybe more politically active than we were in other years. That became more important to us in this past year. So our life purpose choices change we need to make our list of them and then we look at our list and we decide which ones of those we can turn into daily practices that elevates the idea of daily practice to a much higher level when you connect it to your life purpose choices then you're not just doing something out of discipline but you're doing it because you're actually trying to live your life purpose choices and so I think that's the way to think about daily practice and the second thing I'd want to say at the at the outset is that I've been working with creative performing artists for probably 30 or 35 years now. And I know the following from working with artists for that long. When you stop doing your work for a couple of days, maybe 2 days or 3 days or 4 days, suddenly months and years and even decades vanish. There's something about the way we lose so much time that's really disappointing to ourselves. In fact, a lot of artists are particularly disappointed in this COVID time because they, so to speak, have all this extra time and they're not getting to their work. So one of the reasons I wanted to do this book on daily practice is to remind creative folks that if they don't get to their work every day, they're likely to lose huge amounts of time and be very disappointed in their own efforts. Daily practice is a kind of inoculation against not losing a day here or there, but losing whole years and not getting your work done.
1: That's really powerful, Eric, because so often uh, people will say, Oh, I've always wanted to do that, and I can't believe how much time has passed. And when we think about daily practice, particularly, you know, my show is more spiritually leaning and, um, and oftentimes when, when we talk about daily practice on the show or in different communities that I'm in, it's considered like a spiritual practice. That's kind of where people put daily practice. Or it's more like the routine of getting up and having my coffee or doing my exercise routine or something like that. What when you're talking daily practice, is there a specific genre or focus or does it can it be any kind of daily practice?
2: Well, let me turn to the way the book's divided. That'll help us think about this. The first section is about the elements of practice. That is, those parts that make for a solid, powerful, passionate practice. Then the second part is about what you just mentioned, and that's different varieties of practice. And then the third part has to do with challenges to practice and how to overcome those challenges. So getting to the second part, there are lots of different practice. In fact, anything Can be turned, anything that you deem important can be turned into a daily practice. One of the more interesting ones that people are responding to, I think, especially in these times, one of the practices I describe, and I think I describe about 20 different daily practices. One of them is a warrior practice. A lot of people are feeling like they need to be more powerful, do the things that are really important to them, stand up, have a voice. And so they're instituting a warrior practice, and any practice you dream up, you then have to figure out what the actual practice would look like. Having an abstract practice like a warrior practice doesn't have any meaning until you flesh it out. And for people who are adopting a warrior practice, that might mean taking one risk a day. And I'm just pausing for effect because I think you can see that a daily practice doesn't have to be 28 minutes or an hour and a quarter or what have you. It could be doing one small thing and that's your daily practice with respect to that thing. It might be taking a risk. It might be um, emailing your daughter who's halfway around the world and you don't keep really great contact with her but you decide that as a daily practice you're going to send her an email once a day or text her once a day. Or so a daily practice doesn't have to be an elaborate thing. It's just you paying attention to what you deem is important.
1: I really appreciate that, and I wanted the listeners to understand that wherever they are, that we are discussing practice, whether it means a mindfulness practice, a health practice, creativity, recovery, relationship, this can be across the board, and I really appreciate the fact that it could have one task, or it could be something that goes a little bit longer. In your book, you write that I've encountered countless clients who want to get to their creative work in a regular way, and who can't seem to manage to do that. They can always point to the culprit, too much busyness, not enough time, too many distractions and interruptions, and so on. And I know that the third part of the book goes into the challenges, and we'll get to that later in the show. But Right now, procrastination or, or even the lethargy, some of the depression that this particular year has, uh, has kind of spread on people. Or like you discussed in regard to artists not getting to things, what can jumpstart that so that there's a bit of um, a, a push from within us to get moving again if we've gotten into that sinking space of being kind of slothful? so to speak.
2: Well, we have to decide that we matter and our efforts matter. That's really the starting place. That's that's a deep and abstract place. But that really is the starting place. If we let go of the belief that we matter, most people are postmodern enough to not believe that the universe really cares about them, that we're just excited matter here because the universe could make us. That's the belief system of even believers, I think. In a corner of their mind, they have that understanding but that doesn't mean that we can't decide to matter, and that we can't decide that our efforts matter. So that is the starting place. But I think we also built into the idea of devotion. I think is the idea of love and passion. And I think a way to get reignited is to fall back in love with whatever X is, whatever the thing is, whether it's your writing or your or your painting or whatever it is. And one way to fall back in in love is to just remember how you were when you were five years old or six years old, reading a book in the corner. There was nothing better than that, or or drawing, or w- watching a film in a darkened theater when, when there were theaters. And remembering those loves, I think, helps remind us what's really special and magical in life. There was nothing more magical than sitting there with that book and reading it. So the combination of... Honoring our life purpose choices and falling back in love with whatever it is that interests us, whatever we deem important, those two things, that meaning-making part and that passion part, those are two of the ways to make this daily thing happen. That that
1: seems to relate very much to cultivating a relationship with self.
2: Very much so. Um, We're in a certain moment. I'm going to segue slightly to um, another area of interest of mine, which is critical psychology and critical psychiatry. There are a lot of folks who don't believe in the current mental disorder model of diagnosing and treating mental disorders. We think that's more a labeling system than real medicine. And so there are an awful lot of people out there who maybe are calling themselves depressed as if that were some kind of medical label. But to my mind, it's much more despair. It's an old-fashioned, simple thing of sadness or despair. And we have to deal with that. We have to deal with that sadness and despair. and We treat it like a challenge as opposed to an affliction. It's a complicated subject because in my model of personality, personality comes in three parts. Original personality, formed personality, and available personality. That is... With respect to original personality, we come into the world already somebody, and we may have come into the world somebody who's a little sadder than the next person, or a little more aware, and that awareness makes us sadder. That's a long-winded way of saying we may have to deal with sadness our whole life long, and we can't use the fact that we get sad as the reason to not get to our real work.
1: Hmm. I heard a long time ago that depression is a cry for creativity or any kind of stagnancy is really that cry to to become more creative in oneself. What distinguishes someone, let's say an actor, who maintains a daily practice from someone who doesn't?
2: Well, first is a, a genuine understanding of process. That genuine process comes with failures, mistakes, messes, pratfalls all the things we don't really want to think about the person who isn't particularly productive is focusing too much on what went wrong and on what might go wrong and this is most people people really they don't they don't recognize or they don't realize that they want a guarantee before they do their work they want the thing they're about to do to turn out well and they want some guarantee about that and they can't have it you can't have any guarantee that you'll do well at the audition or that you're, You could spend two years writing a novel that's completely dead at the end of those two years, never came alive. That's the reality of process. And you have to brush that right off. Can you imagine how much maturity it takes to spend two years on a novel that doesn't work and then say, oh, well, process, let me move on to the next novel? Mm. Most people completely beat themselves up at the end of those two years. I have no talent. What was I thinking? <laughs> who am I to write a novel? What went wrong? Blah, blah, blah. But the productive person just goes, oh, well, I guess that's one of my novels that didn't work. Let me get on to the next one. This is a huge difference. It's like they're almost two subspecies of human beings, those who need things to go well and those who brush mistakes and messes right off.
1: More than 50 years ago, Eric Basil marched Young Men like himself, around the grounds of Fort Dix, New Jersey, as a drill sergeant. Over the decades, he has guided people as a teacher, workshop leader, psychotherapist, counselor, and coach. In each instance, he says, we intuitively understand what's going on, but for us to create and maintain our own daily practice, we need more than intuitive understanding. This book provides that. In the first part, he identifies and describes the 20 elements that make up a daily practice. In part two, he examines a wide variety of daily practices. And in part three, he looks at how to handle the many challenges to practice that regularly arise. With this guidance, you'll be able to create your own daily practice and keep it going in the face of adversity. You can find out more about Eric Mazel at ericmazel.com. In addition, he has some events that are coming up in January. He has workshops for writers in January and creativity coaching trainings in February. You can go to his website and find out more about these, as well as his online workshop, Healing the Authoritarian Wound Through Writing, which begins in January as well. Find out more at ericmazel.com. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: 1111 magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart and stepping into conscious living. 1111 magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com.
3: Do you want more more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? more empowered community greater fulfillment and life purpose the 1111 mastermind community inspires empowers guides and supports transformation shift your mind expand your heart deepen insights let go and chart a new course dream a new dream the 1111 mastermind community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change.
0: Succeed.
1: Eric Mazel knows from experience and observation that the single most crucial element of success for any endeavor is a regular daily practice. He has multiple elements that will help you to establish that practice, and one of those is devotion. Devotion has about it a sense of love and also a sense of worth. We are devoted to something because we sense its worth and also because we love it, feel passionate about it, feel deeply curious to learn more about it, and so on. If we are lucky, our daily practice is a devotional one, maybe one of the few places of devotion in our very secular calendar. I love the first section of this book, Eric, um, and I love all of the elements that you dive into. Some of them are, are things that that would seem practical and normal. And then there were some other ones that were like, oh, that's kind of curious and that would add so much fun and a different kind of experience to daily practice. You start off with the element of initiation. And uh, I found that to be really interesting and beautiful about how we initiate and then how we also create ceremony around our daily practice. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I think... I think that's actually very important to have a ceremonial entry of some sort into your daily practice. By the way, just let me say parenthetically, one could have multiple daily practices of different sorts, but for the moment we'll just talk about one. You have a ceremonial entry and then a ceremonial exit. And because there is so much anxiety that threads through many of these practices, especially a creativity practice, because... To create, we have to make one choice after another, and choosing provokes anxiety. So the the very act of creating provokes some anxiety. So since we have to deal as creative people with anxiety, I think a great ceremonial entry or ceremonial bridge into the work is to do a little deep breathing that reduces our anxiety and to drop some useful thought into the deep breath. I call these... Thought and breath bundles, incantations, and a kind of thought to drop into a breath as you start your creativity practice might be I'm completely on the inhale, stopping on the exhale, I'm completely stopping. And this connects to the idea we chatted about in the last segment about different sorts of things, but especially about not caring about making mistakes and messes, this completely stopping is about completely stopping your need to get things right. It's very hard to do because all day long we're supposed to get things right, drive on the correct side of the road, pick up our kids at three, etc. Then when when we want to begin our creativity practice, we have to change our mind and go to a place where we have permission to make mistakes. So this is an example of one kind of ceremonial start to a creativity practice you do some deep breathing and you drop into those deep breaths I'm completely stopping meaning I'm completely stopping my busyness but I'm also completely stopping my need to get things right then when you're done with your creativity practice or whatever the practice is I think a way to leave an excellent way to get out of the practice is to again do some deep breathing and have as your incantation, I return with strength. I return on the inhale, with strength on the exhale. I return with strength to the rest of my day. So, with those two incantations, you can bookend, I think, kind of beautifully bookend a practice by breathing and thinking as your way in and by breathing and thinking as your way out.
1: Now, when we're incorporating a daily practice, is it a certain does it need to be always at a certain time in the day? Does it need to be a certain length of time? Uh, if, if you're engaged in a project, do you have to stop? Or can we just keep on going if it just feels like that's where we are? Are there certain protocols in terms of sustaining a daily practice?
2: The, the only one from my point of view is that it be daily, but even that one isn't rigid because let's say you're in two different locations during the week and let's say you're at your painting studio three days of the week and someplace else four days of the week. Well, maybe your painting week is just those three days, but you had better make sure that you paint on those three days. So although I don't sort of even want to let people off the hook as we chat here, it is the case that it doesn't even have to be daily. It really has to be regular and it has to be mindful. You you, you want to be paying attention to this practice I think a daily practice is the best. But you know with respect to your own podcast that there are different tasks on different days. Some days you have to do one sort of work that takes eight minutes. Other days you have to do a sort of work that takes two hours. And this is the case with many of the things we do. It's not the same amount of minutes per day. It's not the same time of the day. If you're scheduling an interview, that's maybe the the time that your practice is on that day. That's when you're particularly present during that hour, etc. So that's a long-winded way of saying there really aren't rules, but the the main thing is to be true. To be true to yourself, honor that you're trying to maintain a practice and then maintain it. It's one thing to set an intention. It's another thing to first align your thoughts with that intention, which is a big deal, and then actually align your actions with that intention so that you're following through on the intention
1: there's a certain level of honesty and self-trust that's required in that as well
2: honestly honesty definitely and self-trust also Uh, one of my areas of interest is the extent to which kids get wounded by authoritarian parents there's a long literature about the authoritarian personality Started this literature started in the 1950s as a reaction to uh, World War II and to the wonder of why so many people, so many Germans followed Hitler. And so there was lots of writing in the 1950s about authoritarian leaders and authoritarian followers, all obviously relevant again today. But I've taken a special interest in authoritarian wounding in the family and how many kids get wounded by bullying parents. And one of the consequences of that bullying, one of the consequences of being wounded, is that folks don't trust themselves. On the one hand, you'd wonder, you'd wonder why not. Well, can people really not trust themselves so much? And the answer is yes. Millions upon millions of people do not trust themselves. And so they're pulled about by other people's ideas. They join this group or that group so as to have an anchor, have a direction because they don't really trust their own beliefs or opinions or thoughts. So again, that's just a longish way of saying we do need to come around to trusting ourselves, to believe, to to have our own ideas and our own voice and our own opinions come first and to only have them ratified if we believe in the ratification. If somebody else says something that agrees with us, great. If they say something that disagrees, we should, at first, stand behind our own belief system. Sure, they may have something right to say or important to say, but our first action shouldn't be to agree with them. Our first action should be to agree with ourselves first.
1: Now, I know you have an authoritarian wounding course that's coming up in January. Does it approach this topic and also the areas of self-trust and how to get past that wounding?
2: It, it does. It, it turns out, well, with, all kinds of traumas, authoritarian wounding is one kind of trauma and one kind of what's called an adverse childhood event. It's one kind, but it's a very profound kind. And most people don't deal with it directly. Therapists don't talk about authoritarian wounding. Uh, Coaches don't talk about authoritarian wounding. So there isn't typically a place where it gets brought up and even folks who regularly journal don't necessarily journal on this topic. They maybe journal on what's happening today. So I wanted to set up a place where folks who have been wounded by a bullying father or a bullying mother, and it could be also a bullying sibling, bullying boss, bullying uh, religious figure, etc. That is anybody who has that authoritarian personality type. If you've been harmed by that person, it's very hard to get over it. And that's what this uh, coming workshop will be dealing with. It will help you get over that wound, get over that trauma via writing.
1: And you can find out more about that course at ericmazel.com. So definitely make a note of that if that is uh, of interest to you. Eric, I think it might be helpful for people to know your daily practice, to kind of have an idea of how someone who writes 50 books and puts on all of these courses and, and serves in these so many ways, how you are able to ground into something on a daily basis that allows all these crea- creations
2: to come forward. Sure. Now, mine is mine, of course. It's idiosyncratic. Um I have to step to the side and say one thing before describing my daily practice, and that is recently, in the beginning of the year, um, I wrote a book that describes a philosophy of life I've been developing called Curism, K-I-R-I-S-M, and it's kind of an updated existentialism, and it has certain ideas. And one of the ideas is to simplify ethics into the following phrase, do the next right thing which I think is a very rich and robust phrase. And when people get the idea behind it, I think it becomes a very anchoring and orienting way to think about ethics. So for me, my daily practice is to get up at 5 a.m., which is what I do, and go directly to my writing. But it's not just the writing that is the daily practice. It's the whole chunk of time from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. It's that six-hour chunk is my daily practice, of doing the next right thing, one right thing after another. And by having a daily practice that is that long, six hours is a long time, and by orienting the daily practice so that I completely stay out of my own way, I don't pester myself about, did this go wrong, did that go wrong? I'm just trying to do the next right thing. By orienting myself that way, I get a lot done in those six hours For creative people, I try to sell them on the idea that their creativity practice should be the first thing they do each day, that it should be a morning creativity practice. Other practices can be at other times of the day, but for creative folks, it's important that their practice be a morning practice, that it be a first thing practice, because if it's a first thing practice, then they get to make use of their sleep thinking. They get get to make use of what their brain's been working on during the night. If they have their practice at any other time of the day, all of that good sleep thinking has vanished. By the time the day begins, that sleep thinking vanishes. But if you turn to your novel, your painting, or your composing, or your anything, you're inventing, your app building, anything, first thing, then you'll will, you will be able to make use of the thinking that your brain has been doing in non-REM sleep. In REM sleep we dream, in non-REM sleep we think. And our brain does a lot of thinking during the night and we can make use of that thinking. So that's by way of saying there's a reason why my writing comes first because sometimes I can just take dictation. It's not even really writing. It's that Mary and Jane characters in my novel have been chatting with each other during the night and now I can just take down what they've been saying. This is a big deal improvement for creative folks to make use of this sleep thinking time. So that's a... a, Piece of a glimpse of my uh, daily practice to be settled with a strong beginning and a strong ending from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. trying to do one right thing after another.
1: That is so very helpful, I'm certain, to all of the listeners and a powerful way to understand that, particularly for creatives. You have in your book, The curest Way, is to organize your life around your life purposes because you've decided that you and your efforts matter. This is in the section on seriousness, element number four that is important for developing a daily practice. But you also have an element that is lightness. Can you talk about the distinction and the usage of seriousness and lightness to cultivate a daily practice.
2: Yeah, there are different ways to think about that. You can just think about them as as a pair that ought to go together, uh, just as discipline and devotion are a pair that ought to go together, and intensity and lightness are a pair that ought to go together. But I think there's another way to think about this, and that's the idea of, the seriousness of showing up, but then the, the lightness or the playfulness of not attaching to outcomes. There's a difference between having dreams for our work or dreams for our practice, having intentions for our practice, and attaching to the outcome, caring that it has worked. To give you a quick example, let's say you have the kind of job where you only get a little bit of vacation during the year and you really need a sunny vacation because you you live in a dark place with a long winter. It's fine to dream all year long about going to a sunny place, but when you get there, if it's raining, you need to let go and and instantly figure out how to have a great rainy day vacation. So it's fine to dream and have aspirations for your practice, but you don't want to attach to outcomes. And that's, that's the lightness feeling. You just do it. And whatever happens, happens, and you get to smile, and it doesn't matter. We'll probably talk about some challenges in the next segment, but let me just mention one challenge quickly here, and that's the challenge of feeling like we have to make progress. It's very heavy, that idea of progress. But at any rate, we'll probably come back to challenges. So let me put a period there for the moment. Perfect. Curism
1: neither spells out nor demands any particular or necessary practices. Each curist has the task of inventing his or her own best practices. But Eric Maisel strongly suggests that creating and maintaining one or more daily practices is a smart way for curists to support their intention, to live their life purposes, and to coax meaning into existence. To get a sense of the connection between creating and maintaining a daily life Practice and living a curist life you can also visit Curism. Definitely check out some of the courses that Eric has coming up. Uh, He has a writer's workshop in January, as well as creativity coaching trainings in February. And once again, his online workshop, Healing the Authoritarian Wound Through Writing, begins in January as well. You can find out more about him at ericmazel.com. You'll find out about all of his 50 books there. Uh, He also has the websites ericmazel.com com or TheFutureOfMentalHealth.com. We'll be right back with Eric Mazel and more on his book, The Power of Daily Practice.
3: Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen
0: 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11 22 33 444 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio.
1: You can go to 11 magcom to see all of the things that I create as my service to the world. But if you'd like to also explore some of the things that I do, you can go to IamSimran.com. I have much of my artwork and many of my own books and different things on that website. So feel free to explore and partake of whatever feels good to you. The book we are talking about today is The Power of Daily Practice by Dr. Eric Maisel. And the subtitle is How Creative and Performing Artists and Everyone Else can finally meet their goals. People who settle into the routine of a daily practice typically love it. They respect themselves for manifesting daily discipline and devotion and appreciate the way that a daily practice helps them get things done. They know that without it, they wouldn't write their book, build their business, or sustain their mindfulness practice. But despite all those benefits and goodness, they're quite likely not to continue with their daily practice. And that is because some challenges come up. We're going to dive into that in this next segment. But before we do, I want to let you know that Dr. Eric Mazel is the author of more than 50 books in the areas of life purpose, meaning, and creative life. He is America's foremost creativity coach and offers online and in-person workshops and coaching. You can find out more at ericmazel.com. Before we dive into some of the challenges that you uh, discuss in regard to daily practice, there was one area of uh, the elements section that had to do with priority and primacy. And you write, priority uh, is has more of a head feel to it, and primacy has a body, heart, and energy feel to it. And I love the word primacy because I never really uh, heard that specific word before, so I'd love for you to talk about that real quick before we dive into challenges,
2: Eric. Well, priority has that to-do list sense of obligation and things that we need to get done in a day. For me, primacy has to do with that basic idea about donning the mantle of meaning maker, that we we make our own meaning. There's no meaning to search out or seek. And as a meaning maker, as somebody who makes our own meaning, we have to understand what's most important to us. As I mentioned at the outset, that will change over time. In a given year or a given month, something may become more important than something else. But basically, we have some deep sense of what's important to us, including making ourselves proud by our efforts. I think that's where the idea of primacy really comes from. I don't think we're in this life to be happy. Being happy is wonderful, but that's not why we're here. I think we're here to make ourselves proud by our efforts. And so for me, that's the deep connection between primacy and effort. We decide what's most important to us, and that becomes our our prime goals, our prime activities.
1: Within the book The Power of Daily Practice it is divided up into three sections and the first section Eric talks about the elements of practice in the second section she goes into he goes into a variety of daily practices anything from creativity to life purpose practices spiritual practice to relationship building practices there are 18 different ones listed here that you can dive into and the third section has to do with challenges to daily practice now you might know that mindset, chaos, and noise are probably typical ones, such as self-talk. But what about restlessness? Talk a little bit about restlessness, Eric. Uh, how does that show up, and what do we do with that restless energy that we have?
2: It's actually such a big subject. As I mentioned earlier, I'm in the um, critical psychiatry, critical psychiatry, critical psychology world And one of the places where we dispute what's going on is with an ADHD diagnosis. That is, we don't think that a restless seven-year-old boy has a mental disorder, we think he's restless. And we think it's unfair that he gets labeled with a mental disorder diagnosis and gets put on medication that becomes an open door to addiction. So we don't like that whole picture. People are restless. Our (laughs) insides vibrate. Uh, we're all a little hypermanic and not in any technical sense, not as a mental disorder diagnosis, but just we get revved up. Our brain gets revved up. If you send if you send your brain in a certain direction, it wants to keep going in the direction, starts to get obsessed with it. If it's a positive obsession, that's great. If it's a negative obsession, that's not so great. But that's all by way of saying that restlessness is a natural human feature and it can be hard to stay put. And we need our languaging ways, our ways of telling ourselves, of helping ourselves stay put, by reminding ourselves that this is our daily practice, that it will end soon, that we get to run around the run around the chair or run around the block as soon as it ends, and that we have our ways of dealing with this with this restlessness.
1: Another one of the 18 different challenges that you have listed in the book has to do with anxiety and distractibility. And I I know that for so many people, and and in my own life I had discovered quite a while ago, that there's fear and anxiety that is within my body. It's in my physiology, and sometimes that just stops me, and oftentimes that develops between the ages of zero to seven. So we can't even put an emotion or a mental thought to it. It's just something that feels within the body. Talk a little bit about... Moving beyond that unnameable, undescribable feeling that sometimes happens, or how we just create distraction just to avoid feeling that level of anxiety within the body.
2: Absolutely, and I'm not sure I would I would use the phrase moving beyond because I think we have to more embrace it. I think it's a lifelong challenge. You know, we get into that place of, of wishing that we could get beyond things, but. I think it's actually healthier to understand that there is a level of anxiety that's always going to be with us. It's part of our uh, warning system against danger. It's what anxiety is. And so we we have that warning system built in, plus we want that warning system. So it's not so much getting beyond it. It's knowing how to manage it. First, it's respecting it and embracing it, just understanding that it may be part of our original personality and, and that we may have to deal with that. And also understanding that we may want to do things very mindfully, very intentionally that provoke anxiety. That is, we may decide to do things that raise our anxiety level. For instance, I'm sure you know, I'm sure your listeners know that the number one phobia in the world is public speaking. It's not fear of planes. It's not fear of spiders, fear of bridges. It's public speaking. So it makes almost everybody anxious to just say a few words in public. Well, if you want a career, you probably have to say a few words in public. So you have, to, you have to embrace that reality that you may be making yourself do things that are also going to raise your anxiety level. So that's all by way of saying the anxiety is coming. Relax about that. <laughs> Relax in your understanding that the anxiety is coming. Then have some anxiety management tools that work. Most people don't have any that work. I have about 20 different anxiety management tools in a book of mine called Mastering Creative Anxiety. Let me just mention a couple. One is the the simple idea of a kind of guided visualization, a very quick visualization, where you visualize a calmness switch in you and you just see yourself, visualize yourself flipping it and reducing your anxiety instantaneously. It's really that visualization is you having a conversation with yourself in which you say to yourself, I'd like to be a calmer person overall, altogether. So that flipping the calmness switch can be a simple one. The incantations we talked about earlier, namely using the physiological benefits of deep breathing with some good cognitions, that's a great one one of the best ones and this is going to take a little while to say but it's important one of the best ones is starting to think thoughts that serve you people make themselves anxious by the thoughts they're thinking and the way Are, I, the way i say that is very careful thinking thoughts that serve you because even true thoughts may not serve you and they may make a true thought may make you anxious and it may not be serving you for instance Let's say you're a writer, you go into a bookstore, you see lots of books, and you say to yourself, wow, there are a lot of writers out there. That's a true thought that doesn't serve you to think, because it actually is going to defeat you. Probably two days later, you'll stop writing. You won't even know why. And it's because somewhere deep inside of you, you're feeling how many writers there are out there. So what cognitive therapists teach, what I teach, is a simple three-step process of hearing what you say to yourself, disputing those thoughts that don't serve you, saying, no, no thought, you're not serving me, and then substituting a more affirmative thought. So I know I'm saying a lot all at once, but let me just give you the headline again, which is most people do not have anxiety management tools that work for them, and they need them. Everybody, every creative person, every human being ought to own one or two anxiety management tools that they have learned over time actually work for them.
1: That's very, very powerful information and um, something, like you said, that every person needs to incorporate. When it comes to skill sets, though, sometimes we don't always know how to do the things. That does create the anxiety. And oftentimes, the skill set, trying to acquire it, can seem like a very long road. And so how do we move beyond (laughs) that challenge of the skill sets?
2: You can't move beyond it. You've got to go down the long (laughs) road. I'll give you a great example. Uh, When Vincent Van Gogh was in his late 20s, he had been a pastor first. He he was a religious person and he was a preacher and he was fired from being a preacher because he was a too passionate preacher. So he was fired from his pastor job and thought of suicide. He, He was already at an existential extremity in his late 20s. But then just before committing suicide, he remembered that he loved painting. And so he thought he'd give that a try before killing himself. He wanted to give himself a second chance. But here's the the really fascinating thing. He could picture in his mind's eye paintings he knew he wanted to make, but he knew that he didn't have the skill set yet to make those paintings. So instead of just making paint, the average person would just start making paintings He didn't start making paintings. He spent a whole year making marks, just learning how to express a cypress tree in a few gestures or express uh, a fern in a few gestures. He spent a whole year practicing and building his skill set before even attempting to make paintings. That's kind of amazing. Most human beings don't have that patience or that truthfulness that truthfulness around here, I need this skill set before I can do the thing I want to do. Again, that's a long answer to a short question, but but the short answer is we probably can't proceed until we build that skill set, so go build it.
1: All of the challenges that you have listed here, whether it is bodily sensations or defensiveness or the failures or the boredom and the meaningless, uh, like you said, it's not about moving beyond them. It's about embracing them and understanding that we are here for the experience of moving through them, correct?
2: Absolutely, and some of them can be dealt with rather easily if we are, if we acknowledge that they exist if we keep fighting them off then they're impossible to deal with then we're just under some pressure where we're not acknowledging that there's some difficulty as soon as we say as soon as we say wow i'm a little anxious that alone may dispense or dispel disperse the anxiety just saying wow i'm a little anxious as opposed to refusing to notice that you're anxious and fleeing the encounter and leaving the house and leaving your novel behind for the thousandth time
1: as we complete the show, Eric, do you feel like this year, 2020, and the way it has kind of sat us all down and had us be with ourselves, is actually the womb space for a lot of creativity to birth in 2021?
2: I hope so. The, the problem is that individual artists still have to find their reasons for doing whatever their creative work is in the new year. There is an opening here. There's also a lot of reasons to be discouraged. So I don't know what on balance I think. I think on balance, I'm hopeful, and I do think that it's an opportunity for creative folks to figure out what's next for them. But I guess, like everyone, I'm not sure.
1: Dr. Eric Maisel will tell you, live a curist life without embarrassment. If you live as an individual, thinking your own thoughts, acting ethically, speaking up when you need to speak up, and living the fullness of your life purposes, you are bound not to fit into society all that well and bound to have to deal with the forces that want to quiet you. Curists live a life of action and courage as absurd rebels who have decided to matter. They live this life openly and proudly without embarrassment. Live in the light as a curist proudly and happily no matter what. I invite you to visit Eric's website, ericmazel.com. Check out all of his 50 books, but especially The Power of Daily Practice as you move into the uh, beginning of a new year and you cultivate that practice over the course of December to really anchor it in as you move forward. Again, check out uh, the book, *The Power of the Daily*—the power of daily practice. Also, go to his website for any of his writing creativity and authoritarian wounding uh, workshops and online courses that he has there. My guest next week is Dennis Petoko, and he is the creator of Biz Catalyst 360. We're going to talk about how he he, he is one of those observed creative rebels and how he has created a massive place for community and connection. Thank you, Eric, for being on 1111 Talk Radio again this week. I am Simran, and until next week, in love, of love, with love, and as love, be well.